Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular's single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. Welcome to Cavs HQ, presented by Sherwin-Williams. Thank you for joining us on the Cleveland Cavaliers Radio Network. Now, here are your hosts, Tim Alcorn and Jim Jones. From the Cavaliers Radio Studios in the heart of Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse. Hi again, everybody. Welcome to Cavs HQ, presented by Sherwin-Williams. Great to have you with us as we put this show together on Martin Luther King Day, we keep the historical legacy of Martin Luther King Jr. in our hearts and in our minds. Great to have you with us, Jim Jones. And boy, one of the things that has really been amazing as we have put these Cavs HQ shows together is your incredible black book of guests. We have had some people sitting in the legends chair that have just been phenomenal. So for this week's edition of Cavs HQ... We thought we'd go back and uh, listen to some of those interviews again because they were simply spectacular. Well, Tim, I agree with you. You know, uh, we've had we've been very fortunate to have the kind of guests that we've had, and the response from the audience and from uh, the listeners has been unbelievable. Uh, but this is a special day. It's a uh, it's to commemorate the leadership of one of the greatest men to ever walk this earth who was an inspiration for all of us, mm-hmm. especially during these challenge, those challenging times of the 60s and 70s, Dr. Martin Luther King. So on tonight's show, we've picked out four of the uh, Legends Chairs guests that we will hear from. We had a great conversation with Sed Maxwell, the Boston Celtic great and now color commentator for the Boston Celtics. Lenny Wilkins, uh, NBA Hall of Famer, both as a player and a coach, right here in Cleveland with the Cavs. Uh, Footsie Walker, your great friend from the Miracle of Richfield days, and uh, both of ours great friend, Joe Tate. So uh, the fans, I think, are in for a real treat tonight to hear from those four. Yeah, I know, I know they are. All of those guys have an unbelievable uh, character stature, and it's just great to, to be in a position where, where we can present this to the Cavs' faithful fans. 
So, listeners, sit back and enjoy this Cavs HQ tonight. Uh, you're going to hear some fun conversations that we've had with our guests who have settled comfortably into the Legends chair. We're glad to bring it to you on Cavs HQ, presented by Sherwin-Williams. Thomas looks and waits. Flips to Snyder. Snyder sideline left. Snyder on the dribble drive. To the hoop. Put it up. Snyder scores with four seconds to go. And the Bullets take time. Cleveland 87. And Bullets 85 with four seconds to go. Man, I'm telling you. The hair on my arms just standing up. What a call. And, of course, we continue on as we celebrate the 45th anniversary of the miracle of Richfield, the legendary Joe Tate with those awesome calls. Now, of course, that call from the playoffs, the run, the gun, Snyder. Oh, my goodness, Snyder on the dribble drive. Joe, I know you've had a lot of legendary calls over the years, but the miracle calls, are those the ones that as you still run into people, they they bring those up? Well, the one that gets the most uh, recall is uh, the three-pointer that Craig Elo hit at Christmas time, and uh, I have no—I've listened to the tape, and I have no idea why I said it. It just popped in. I said, <laughs> "Yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus, and he comes from Lubbock, Texas." <laughs> and uh, it, yeah, it was just one of those things that popped in and popped out, and it really fit the moment. That is probably the call that. People remember more than than any of the others, but I do have people say that uh, they recall the calls in the because uh, there was no television, you know, there was uh, just radio, and uh, that uh, meant if you wanted to follow the Cavs, you had to follow uh, you had to follow us on radio. Or Washington, they did have TV, uh, but to show you just how they had to put it together at the last minute, their their color analyst for that was Sonny Jurgensen, the quarterback. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah, they they were having a heck of a time just putting the crew together because it it came on top of them uh, and there was no local TV at all. Guys, uh, as I look at the Cavs roster from the Miracle Year, and of course we know all the names, uh, Jim Jones, my broadcast partner, co-host here, Campy, AC, Bingo, Snyder, Footsie, who we'll have a little bit later, Footsie Walker, Jimmy Clemens, Jim Brewer. Man, just some quality basketball players. But I don't really see that that superstar, the megastar. This was more of a, a collective unit than a, you know, that's a LeBron team or that's a Magic team. Correct? Uh, you guys both want to comment on that? Well, actually, uh, I looked in the book this morning just for fun to see if any of our guys made it in the top ten in any of the categories for scoring, rebounds, assists, et cetera, et cetera. Nobody, nobody made it. We had seven guys, though, score between 8.5 and 15.8 points per ball game, and Jim Jones led the way with that uh, uh, scoring average. But it really was. It was a team effort uh, all the way, and everybody did their little thing. Uh, uh, Sweets and I were talking a little bit about Jim Brewer before we started the show, and you know, Brew has some big moments. I remember a night down in New Orleans where he just uh, took over defensively in a ball game and uh, 
were playing at University of the South, which was on a raised platform. And if you oh, drove too right. hard and far, you went right off the floor <laughs> into <remember>. space. <laughs> <laughs> You've got a good memory. Oh, I hadn't thought about that probably since it happened. Oh, my goodness. I, I don't think you'd want to remember that, Jim. <laughs> Jim, Jim, your thoughts on that, though, that there really wasn't that superstar player per se. Well, I think I think you, well. There's there's a couple things you got to remember. The Cavs had been a losing team, so they were getting pretty decent draft picks. But they were all kids. If you really think about it, they were all kids from the Midwest. Luke Whitty, Austin Carr. The only one that probably wasn't from the Midwest was maybe Bingo. But the majority of the kids on that team were either from the Big Ten or they were from uh, independents that played a lot of basketball in the Midwest. And Bill Fitch had a great feel for talent. Uh, he had a system that was not difficult to learn, so we sort of gelled pretty easily. And we had tremendous respect for each other. And Joe can tell you better than me, because he did pro football, that this was a football town. And, uh, you <laughs> can, and, they, would, and they would never let you forget it until, this, until that particular year when we were selling out with 20,000 Nick Maletti was getting Stevie Wonder, Frank Sinatra, come on, to Cleveland to appear out at his big-time arena. And uh, Joe can tell you better than me because uh, he knew those guys in up office better than I did. But they were very challenged uh, to make payroll every, every month. The Miracle team really didn't come roaring out of the blocks. I mean, they lost four of their first five. They were 1-4, and 5-10, and 9-14. So... It took a while to, to get things rolling. It was about Nate Thurman. Yep. And uh, we weren't winning. I was playing pretty decent. Starting five was pretty playing pretty decent. But when they took me out of the game, uh, Jim Brewer, they could never take us both out at the same time. We were both at pretty good size. Uh, uh, you know, we would struggle. But when we got Nate Thurman, and I saw the respect that he was given, even at the late that late stage in his career, Tim, he was still he still had that fire. And he was such a gentleman off the court with the Stutzy Brim hat, the plaid, Glenn plaid jackets and blazers, three gold chains around his neck. <laughs> you could smell his cologne uh, if you got on the elevator and he just got off. I mean, he was just a classic old school NBA player. And uh, we played hard for him. Joe can tell you that. Well, that's the truth. And he was the gentleman's gentleman. I know Bill Fish one time, we were eating at the restaurant uh, at the hotel after a game out in Oakland. And uh, Nate came in with a beautiful young lady and sat down. And Fitch said, if you really want to find out how to treat a woman when you take her out, watch Nate Thurman because he is the consummate gentleman. And yep. he did. It was it was a lesson in how to be totally attentive. The whole club was really top flight people. You start mentioning the draft choices and all, Jim, those were good folks. I mean those were people you wanted to know personally, not just professionally. And it was a great a great combination and as you say, Thurman was the guy who got it all together and got things rolling, and the rest of the team just followed suit. It was it was a memorable year. Well, I mentioned you were nine and fourteen, or the Cavs were nine and fourteen. That meant they went 
40 and 19 after that 9 and 14 record. Think about that. Wow. Well, Joe, this has been a great trip down memory lane. As I said, we've got more uh, miracle of Richfield season shows coming. So uh, this isn't your only appearance on Cavs HQ. Uh, you and Jim and I will uh, get together again down the line, and we'll talk about more about this team. I know you've got some more great Nate stories, so we'll delve into those. But uh, this has been a real treat. And as I said, uh, hearing those calls, man, goosebumps and the hair raised on my arm. That's awesome. Now, is, is Sweets going to be talking to Footsie Walker today? Yes. Yes, I will. All right. I remember one of the greatest quotes I have ever heard from anybody in a Cavalier uniform. You remember, Sweets, when we used to travel, uh, everybody wore whatever they wanted to wear, sweatsuits, uh, blue right. jeans. Well, then we got Walt Fraser from the Knicks. <laughs> And Clyde walks into the airport for the first time, and he's got the hat and the mink coat. And Footsie Walker took one look at him and turned to Fitch and said, well, there goes the dress code. (laughs) (laughs) We ought ought to just do a show with you two telling stories. I mean, this could be classic. Coming up next in the Legends Chair, Footsie Walker, right here on Cavs HQ. got Russell playing out front right now. Walker drives and scores. Little footsie Walker just took it from one end of the floor to the other. 76-68 Cleveland. Welcome back to Cavs HQ presented by Sherwin-Williams. Tim Elkhorn along with Jim Jones. Huge thanks to the guys on the other side of the window. Marty Allen, Kurt McLaughlin, Leo Simone. They're racking up those great Joe Tate highlights from the miracle of Richfield season. 45 years ago, the miracle of Richfield. So it's great to talk about one of the most memorable seasons in Cavs history. And a huge thank you again to Joe Tate, who joined us in segment number one. And now Jim Jones, a a teammate of yours. We welcome him into the Legends Chair, as we call it. Hopefully, uh, Footsie Walker is using the footrest on the Legends Chair. Maybe it's a recliner, as Footsie now (laughs) joins us. Are are you using the footrest, Footsie? That's exactly where I'm at, man. (laughs) (laughs) Well, again, we are looking back on this Miracle of Richfield season, and as I explained before we got rolling here, we kind of want to look at the season as far as the early part and, and what the thought process was going into the year. The Cavs had come oh so close the year before in making postseason. So, Footsie, uh, I know it was a long time ago, but do you recall that near miss uh, the year before kind of motivating you as you got ready for the next season? For sure. I mean, because like I said, you know, when um, when I seen that team and – and I seen the players, you know, and I, you know, I, I knew what kind of what kind of chemistry we had there, you know, and we just, you know, taking a little time to to blend, you know, and, and get together with each other, you know, because, you know, when I first came there, it was um, we had I don't know maybe three or four, five maybe uh, guys that came onto the team, so I knew we had a good team there and a good nucleus there. We had uh, good players, and it was just a matter of gelling and putting everything together. And that season, like you say, before that miracle. I mean, I know we were on our way, you know, um, just a few more adjustments that we made, and, 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 and there we were, you know. Well, at that time, Tim, uh, uh, Footsie was a, a new breed of guard. Uh, you know, there's always great exceptions mm-hmm. like Tiny Archibald, 
you know, six foot, you know, lead the league in scoring and and assists. But no one else was 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 really taking in guys that were five foot ten, and who were known more for their defense than their offense. And Foots Walker changed a lot of that around our league because when he came into the games, the pace of the game picked up. His his ability of dribble penetration was unbelievable. And if he was in the open floor, he could find the open man or he could take it to the rim. So he put a lot of pressure on teams and a lot of people around our league. Everybody wanted a Footsie Walker type player. But the other thing that Foots had he was a great defender. You could be 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, he would give you heck trying to get that ball up the floor. He played the passing lanes. He you know, he just really understood what it took to win, and he understood the game. Footsie, I really appreciate you, but I wanted to tell Tim that mostly I appreciate you when you first came, how you used to get me up every morning out at the hotel. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Jim. I tell you what, that was that was you know that was that was an experience, but it was great, you know, because like I said, Jim was my roommate that first camp when I came, and uh, so we, you know, sometimes Jim didn't want to get up, so I, you know, I had to go over there, come <laughs> on, Jim, and you know, almost begging to get up. I said, we got to get up, man. We got to, we got to get to practice, man. So you know, we we remained good <laughs> friends, and and you know, and and all that through the years, and uh, just getting back to what Jim was saying when when the, when I came into the league. It, I came in at the right time because the league was just turning over from like smaller guard, guards from big guards. And so I guess, you know, with Calvin Murphy and uh, they had several guys, Tiny Archibald was in the league then. Um, they had quite a bit of guys in the league. So the league was just turning over. So, I mean, I, I hit it at the right time, you know, when I came in. And, I mean, I, I came in with a 6'5 heart. First of all, you know, and that's yes, what you, you kind of had to have in that league. You know, you had to yep. come in, you had to be strong, you had to not take any prisoners, and like I say, and that's the kind of player that I was, you know, and always have been. You know, hustled, worked hard, you know, and did what the coach say, and I hit it right at the right time. Footsie almost got me into two fights, at least the fighter game. <laughs> oh, you had Wes Unsell. You had nothing to do Wes, with it, Jim. Nothing. <laughs> Wes, Wes, listen, Wes Unsell, Kevin Cooner. Dwight Davis, even Nate Thurman one time because Footsie was great defending off the ball. So when they would try to set picks on him, they would they would move or throw or hit him with an elbow because he was so quick, uh, clever and quick that he could come right at the, the screen and then go around, and those guys started laying him out. And I said, you know what? I got to protect this guy. You know, mm-hmm. and so uh, think about it. But you remember those, those little scraps I had with those guys? <laughs> oh, I know you you did, Jim. And I was I was I was glad you came to my rescue, man. Because I mean, <laughs> those guys then, you know, they were they weren't no six nine and two hundred pounds. They were like six nine, three hundred pounds in canon. So, and when I first came into the league, uh, just tell a quick story. The first year we I came in, we had no preseason game. So as being a rookie. I had to go through rookie camp, and then I had to go through uh, veterans camp, which we did not have any preseason that year. So I came in at like about 172 pounds, and I, and once the camp was over, I probably was about 160 pounds. And so <laughs> I used to tell the story to some of the guys. I said, these guys are sagging their pants now. I said, my back pockets was touching in. You know, I, I was cool, man. <laughs> 
Footsie, I want to ask you, going back to this to the miracle year and this roster, the way it uh-huh. was constructed, uh, I think guards always have a little bit of a different perspective of a team than big men because they play looking uh-huh. at the basket and so forth. What did you see as the strength of this Cavs team, especially going into the year? Well, I, what I've seen was that, like I say, we had a good a – good, uh, first of all, we had a good – Ten to nine people that could come in on that floor and play at any time. It was deep, yeah. And then we had the nucleus we had too. Was that you know we we, we had dip, different tempos. Like the first team had a tempo that they you know that they used and, and whatnot. And then once we subbed, like you know me and Campy and you know whoever came off the bench, we had a different tempo. So I, I think our tempo was different, but both of them was effective. You know, so I mean. When looking at that, you know, you, like I said, you could have people step in at any time and take somebody's spot and wouldn't lose a beat. Yeah, you know, uh, Footsie, I was thinking about those times, and uh, I remember people don't realize how effective Nate Thurman was for us. You oh, know, man. And Nate, you know, you know, to get to get to get Nate, and uh, I know sometimes you, you used to take him home, you know, because you guys lived in that mm-hmm. same complex over there. Mm-hmm. Uh, just talk talk a little bit about the effect of Nate Thurman on our team. Oh man, Nate! Nate, when we got Nate, man, I'm telling you that. I mean that that that, that revved everybody up, you know, because this is like one of the main spots, you know, that uh, that that we could that we we needed, you know. Yep. You know, once Jim came off the floor, I mean, Nate came in and he, you know, he shut things down. And you know he set some tremendous picks for for Bingo or Campy, whoever was on the floor, and then just you know just being with Nate and listening to you know some of the stories. You know he was talking yep. about his friend uh, and uh, Gus Johnson when they played together in high school, and I mean just the things in the league. He, you know he talked about man. I mean he was just an inspirational talker. I mean if you listen to him, and if you know Nate, he was just low key. And like I say, he just gets his point across, man. And then us driving and riding home together, talking every day, and just talking about the league and just talking about all kind of different things, man. And like I say, Nate was, um, man, I, you know, I, I, I miss that guy, man, I tell you. I do too, Foots. When we come back, a legendary coach sits in the legendary chair. Lenny Wilkins will join us next right here on Cavs HQ. As the Cavs strive to be champions both on the court and in the community, we are proud to support local nonprofit organizations through our weekly 50-50 raffles presented by Oswald. This week's raffle will benefit the Cavaliers Community Foundation and its efforts to support charitable organizations right here in Northeast Ohio. For complete 50-50 raffle details and to purchase your 50-50 raffle ticket, visit Cavs.com raffle. Thank you, Cavs fans, for being the diff in our community. Cavs in the Community is brought to you by Discount Drug Mart. We'll be right back with more Cavs HQ presented by Sherwin-Williams. Welcome back to Cavs HQ. It's presented by Sherwin-Williams, Tim Elkhorn, Jim Jones, and we're honored to have sitting in the Legends chair, Lenny Wilkins, NBA Hall of Famer, of course, Played here in Cleveland under head coach Bill Fitch as a player and then came back to the Cavaliers as the head coach when he teamed up with Wayne Embry. And Jim talked about 
the African-American coaches that came before you, Bill Russell, Al Adels, of course, John McClendon, Earl Lloyd, but you and Wayne Embry were the first duo as far as a GM coach that were both African-Americans. That was really groundbreaking at the time, to have a black GM and a black coach. How cognizant were you and Wayne of that? In other words, as Jim asked you in the first segment, did maybe some additional pressure come with that? Well, you know, we didn't think much about it. Uh, we just knew that both of us understood the game and knew the game. Uh, Wayne was a great general manager. He uh, knew basketball. He played basketball. And uh, when uh, they invited me to come down and talk because they wanted to interview me, uh, and, and it was kind of interesting at the time because uh, when I was traded to Cleveland, I didn't want to come. Uh, at first, only because at that time they were considered uh, the cadavers, they used to call them. And uh, I was leaving a team that I thought would be in the playoffs. So I didn't want to come, but Nick Maletti and Bill Fitch came to Seattle to talk to me. And after we talked and everything, I decided, no, I wasn't ready to retire, that I wanted to play. So I came and I played for the Cleveland Cavaliers. But uh, going back to Wayne, yeah, we we were the first really duo, and uh, it might have been pressure. Uh, I'm sure Wayne felt it more than I did. But uh, when you're coaching and you're actually out there involved and everything, you don't think that much about it. So you inherit per se, this incredibly young team of Brad Doherty, Ron Harper, Mark Price, Hot Rod Williams, all these rookie players. Yeah. What was that like? And, and the second part of my two-part question, Lenny, would be, does this current Cavs team with all these young players, are there similarities there? Well, I, I'll tell you, there may be. And uh, the, the, at the time, we knew we were young, but we knew we were going to be better. And I truly believe that. Uh, I remember my first year there, and we had uh, all these rookies. <laughs> I think we might have had one or two veterans. And, and uh, every time we stepped on the floor, we knew it was going to be an experience for us. But we did finish 41-41 my first year. Mm-hmm. And, and I said, just watch us the next year. And the next year we did. We took off. Uh, young kids like Brad Doherty, Mark Price, you know, Ron Harper, uh, Dwight Davis, all these guys started to blossom because they were very coachable. They, they wanted to be better. And, and I told them that uh, we're going we're to defend. We're not letting anybody just step on the floor against us. We're, we're going to go after every team we play. And, and and I was so pleased at how well they developed. Another thing, Coach, I've always wondered, if I'm sitting there with Lenny Wilkins or Bill Russell or Al Adels watching a basketball game, I've always wanted to ask you guys, what are you looking at and what are you watching? Like when you watch today's game, what are you looking at, Coach, when you watch these players run up and down the floor, situations come up or whatever? 
when I look at the floor, I mean, I'm looking at that whole floor, and I'm not just seeing one thing. I'm trying to see what's happening, what's developing, what what's there that we could take advantage of, and uh, and then I tell my players that. A lot of times, if I take a player out of the game, he comes over to the bench, and we talk, and I tell him what I see, so that when he goes back out there, I'm hoping that he'll see some of the same things. Lenny, one of the things that I wanted to ask you about, uh, I mentioned that you're in the NBA Hall of Fame as part of the 92 Dream Team. And somebody asked me the other day about how the guys in the NBA competed down in the bubble without fans. And I referenced the 92 Dream Team when Chuck Daly said, you guys are just going to go five on five perhaps the greatest game ever played that nobody ever saw. But just talk about the competitive level of that game when the Dream Team just went five-on-five in the gym. From what I hear, it's legendary. Yeah, uh, our practices were better than some of the games. (laughs) Because, you know, the the players, we talked to them. And, And I remember I used to say to them all the time, if you think you're the world's best, why don't we show the world that? Okay? When we go out there, let's challenge one another. Let's make one another better. And they responded. They loved that. Magic loved it. You know, Charles Barkley loved it. Carl Malone, all the guys. Uh, they wanted to compete. And they were not going to give each other quarter. That's how much they respected one another. Right. So every time we stepped on the floor... Uh, it was a challenge, and sometimes we had to cut the practices short so nobody would get hurt. <laughs> but I'm sure you still vividly recall that five-on-five five when Chuck rolled the ball out and said, you guys get after it for a game. Oh, yeah. Well, the thing, what, what happened was he was a little disappointed, Chuck, because we were we gave them some time off, and then we met in Nice, uh, the you know, they, we flew to Nice, and the practice wasn't going that good. And Chuck was uh, upset, so I called Magic over, and I said to Magic, hey, you know, Coach isn't happy. And, you know, w- rather than be here all day, we need to get the competitive edge up a little bit. And Magic said, I'll take care of it. <laughs> and he started to razz Michael. And next thing you know, they got Michael's attention. Because you know, Michael was playing golf every morning. And they got his attention. And the game became so competitive that we had to stop it because Chuck was worried someone would get hurt. <laughs> that is great stuff. That is really cool. Now, Lenny, before we let you go, as we were talking before we rolled here, Joe Tate is a dear friend of mine, my mentor in the broadcast business. He told me many years ago about Lenny Wilkins and how he orders a milkshake. Now, you've got to share with our fans. Lenny, you've got to share with the fans. What's the deal with Lenny Wilkins when you order a milkshake? Well, you you know, when I was growing up in my neighborhood, there was a drugstore, and they had a fountainette there where they made milkshakes and malts and stuff like that. Right. And uh, so whenever I'd get a hot dog or something or a hamburger, uh, I'd want to get a milkshake. 
and they would make the milkshake. But a lot of times, if you don't say anything, they just pour the glass, and what's left in the container, they throw it out. And I said, hey, wait a minute. I want all of it. And Joe Tate <laughs> fell out. He couldn't believe it. Uh, but I told him, I said, you know, I was used to that, and, and I want all of it. <laughs> Lenny, the last time I ordered a smoothie, I did the same thing, and I thought of you when I did it. That's a true story. <laughs> I'm getting what's in the container as well. When we come back, Cornbread Maxwell will take a seat in the Legends chair right here on Cavs HQ. Welcome you back to Cavs HQ, presented by Sherwin-Williams. Yes, a blast from the past, as far as the music is concerned, but certainly uh, quite a legend to sit in the legend's chair, Cedric Cornbread Maxwell. And, of course, he had a great career, an 11-year NBA career, eight with the Boston Celtics, two-time NBA champion, and, of course, the 1981 Finals MVP, and now a color commentator on the Cap on the Celtics radio network, said it is great to have you in. Boy, I bet you that theme song brought back a few memories, didn't it? Oh, man, you know what? I had heard that song maybe one or two times in my life, and the time <laughs> I heard it was the first time I actually went to a movie theater uh, some of my friends, that's how I got the nickname Cornbread. Some of my friends went to see this movie called Cornbread Early Me. And uh, Jim would know it. Jamal Wilkes. I saw played the movie. Yeah, movie. Jamal Wilkes. And, yeah. and the guy in the movie who was, who was, there was Earl and then there was me. The guy who was me in the movie was one of, was no other than, uh, um, oh gosh, I'm forgetting his name now, but he was absolutely great in it. And, you know, he played Morpheus in, in the movie, so it, this was one of those things where it was, it was so good, but thank you guys Fishburne, for bringing Fishburne, me in like Fishburne. that. Fishburne, Fishburne, wasn't it Fishburne? Yeah, Lawrence Fishburne, Lawrence, correct, Lawrence, said? Yeah, Lawrence, Lawrence yeah, Fishburne. Fishburne. Yeah, great movie, great <laughs> well, movie. Well, again, uh, those who join us on this show said, sit in the Legends chair, and there's no doubt uh, you fit very comfortably in the Legends chair, so... Uh, Sit back, relax, put the recliner up, and uh, enjoy the time with Jim and I. I know we're going to enjoy the time with you. So, boy, let's kind of delve into, uh, first of all, the Boston Celtics. Uh, things didn't go the way they wanted down in the bubble. So, uh, boy, what's this off season like up in Beantown? Well, it's going to be it's going to be interesting. I'm not sure how uh, they're going to get it going and what Danny's going to do. But, you know, Danny, have, Danny H has a lot of decisions to make. Uh, the unfortunate thing with Boston is the fact that you are playing for championships and not playing for division titles. So I, I think that's one thing that, uh, you know, you have. And so, so the Celtics have a lot of good players, but you're playing for championships. You know, Cedric, Smart, Jalen Brown, and the young kid Tatum, I love all three of them. But 
are people having second thoughts in Boston that maybe it's not enough? Do are they are they looking towards still trying to get a super player? Well, Jim, I, I think that's what happens at the end of the day. You're always trying to upgrade. And you think about the Eastern Conference, the players that you have in the East now. You have a Kyrie Irving uh, matched up with the Rand. Uh, these teams are only going to get better. So it's, it's a, um, I think, a, a race of, of Armageddon where, you know, everybody wants to get better players. And I, I think, uh, you know, the Celtics could do with maybe a couple of pieces that would make them better, especially when you look at their bench. Their bench needs to be much better. Again, we're talking with Cedric Cornbread Maxwell as he joins us on Cavs HQ, presented by Sherwin-Williams. Said when you look at that whole bubble atmosphere, per se, obviously the announcers weren't there, but how challenging was that? I'm sure you've talked to some of the players and or coaches. Uh, how challenging was it for those guys down in that bubble? Well, I think it was more challenging for maybe some of the broadcasters. I knew a guy who was there, uh, Gary Washburn was there, uh, who was one of the writers for the Celtics. And uh, essentially, you go down in that bubble for three months without seeing mm. anybody else. So the mm. sacrifice for the broadcasters might have been a little bit tougher than the players because eventually the players started to have their families. But to be in an area for two and a half, three months in the play basketball, I think it was the ultimate sacrifice. Well, Sid, when you first heard about that, <clears throat> about them coming to some type of agreement, the league and the play association, were you surprised as much as I was that they would do that for 90 days? Jim, listen, not That's use, a let's long not use time. the word surprise. Let's use the word shock. <laughs> yeah. 90 days, see, really? I couldn't see players being in that environment. You, you and I have been, you know, you and I were young players, and me, you know, I didn't get married early on. So I was young and, and, and ready to kind of sow my oats. So you're going to tell right. me I had 80, 80 days or 40 days <laughs> just to be by myself? I think that was, that might have been a little much for me. <laughs> Yeah, we won't delve into what the challenges may have been, Cornbread. We'll just uh, kind of leave that sitting out there a little bit. You know, you guys talk about, you know, when you both came in, your careers did overlap somewhat. Uh, mm -hmm. I want to get each of your perspectives oh on the matchup. Seth Maxwell and Jim Jones, what was it like out there on the floor between you two? Go ahead, well, Seth. No, let me start first. Okay, Jim, I'm, I'm guarding Larry Bird, right? Because Jamal couldn't guard him. And so I'm guarding set. I'm guarding Larry Bird. Parrish is setting picks. So I guarded Bird, Parrish, and Mikhail, depending on uh, how strong Kareem felt that day if he wanted to be touched. But anyway, we're switching. I'm guarding Bird. I can run with him. I have the height and the length. All of a sudden, they do a switch in the middle of the lane, and I got cornbread down low. And all of a sudden, he gives me, he's got his back to me in the post, and he fakes left, turns his head to the right, throws the ball around, grabs it, and lays it in. I said, okay, so I see you got some footwork. So next time down, he does the same thing, but he fakes inside and shoots a little floater off the glass from about, from the lower block. The third time when they set the pick, I said, Jamal. I'm not guarding him. There's no way. There's no way 
that Cedric Maxwell, with the variety of shots he has, anywhere from the top of the key in, he was always dangerous. But, said, I want to say this. You're such a team player. There's no reason why every year you shouldn't have averaged 20 to 25, but you were with a team of, of other all-stars and potential uh, Hall of Famers. Wow. All right, Jim. So I assume that was a one hundred percent accurate description of how you tore Jim up. Now, what he did. Let me tell you this, man. No Jim, shame Jim in that. Jim can say all he wants, but Jim was a guy I watched when I was uh, growing up. I saw him at Marquette. And, well, see, Michael told me the same thing. Michael told me the and same. Saw him play, and I was like, man, I was like this dude right here. And then he twisted his ankle. And I think that's the only reason that they didn't win. But this yep. dude, he had he had uh, he had all the moves. I mean, the post moves, the little spinning jump hook, the fall away jump shot off one foot. And the biggest thing that people don't know about is the junk talking that went along with Jim Jones. Oh my he, goodness! He, you Jimmy know, was you, a trash he, talker. He, dude, he hit one in your face, and he's going pow, pow. <laughs> He would tell hey, you, you know about where I got that shot was going in. <laughs> Tim and Jim will be back to wrap up this night of legends right here on Cavs HQ. Welcome back to Cavs HQ. It's presented by Sherwin Williams, Tim Elkhorn, along with Jim Jones. And folks, we told you that was going to be a real treat. And again, Jim, uh, all the credit goes to you, my friend. Uh, that black book of yours, which I know still has many names in it that we haven't even uh, been able to track down yet. So uh, I love these shows week in and week out. And what a treat for our listeners tonight to go back and hear some of those great stories and memories from Sed Maxwell, Lenny Wilkins, Footsie Walker, and of course, our great friend Joe Tate. It's all about relationships, people you meet along the way and and uh, you try not to burn bridges. Sometimes you do. Sometimes it's necessary. But uh, the people that you've mentioned and all the people that we've had, I have a really a real fondness for over and beyond the call of duty or or uh, occupations. I was able to figure out and and understand some of the things they were going through. This show is a very special show because what we try to do, we don't tell people how to live. We tell stories. But we hope that some people will invest in some of the things we're talking about to make their lives better. There you go. Well, again, Jim, huge thanks to you. So that's going to wrap up this edition of Cavs HQ, presented by Sherwin-Williams. Jim, great, great guest throughout the year. Marty and Kurt, as well as Leo on the other side of the window. And, of course, the biggest thanks goes to you, the listeners. Hope you enjoyed this week's very special edition of Cavs HQ, presented by Sherwin-Williams. We've got more shows in store, so those are coming up in the future. So until then, Tim Elkhorn saying thanks for listening, and so long, everybody. Cavs HQ was brought to you by Sherwin-Williams, the official paint and coatings partner of the Cleveland Cavaliers, and by Huntington. If you need guidance on your money right now, Talk to Huntington. Welcome.